I want to say that what we're seeing in these last couple of weeks is this building project. We're seeing God is the architect of our salvation. He's built, he has a plan to save his people. And that Jesus executes that plan. And then once the house is built perfectly to the design that God envisioned, the Spirit moves us into our new home. But you think about moving, you often think about your own role in moving. You think about the heaviness of the boxes. You think about the stress of packing up your home. But that's not the type of moving that the Spirit does. In fact, the type of moving the Spirit does is much more like the type of moving Grace Point does. When I was thinking about this passage, I was thinking about when Courtney and I moved here several years ago and Grace Point moved us in. We had a pod delivered to the front of our house and we arrived and Rob and John and Kevin were there, Esther was there, one man was there, and they took over moving us into this new place. So much so that Esther had packed and made this basket that had shampoos and a bottle of wine and a hospitality basket on our, uh, in, in our living room. In the oven were cookies baking in our oven that smelled the smell of butter and chocolate or was wafting in the house. And we felt like we walked into a home that had already been inhabited because one man was making cookies for us. And Rob and John and Kevin and all the other guys that chipped in to move us in were so visible and Courtney and I were so invisible that two days later when our neighbors knocked on our door to meet us and I opened the door, she shouted across the street to her husband, he's Puerto Rican. And I said, I am. How did you know that? She's like, well, I could tell you look Puerto Rican. She's like, we thought you were Asian. And the reason she thought we were Asian was because what she saw that day were the people of Grace Point moving us in. They got all the credit because that's all that was seen. That's all that was visible. And that's what's going on in this passage today. So much so that the Spirit does everything that we've been seeing the past couple of weeks. The plan that God has executed through Christ is only possible because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Every blessing, being in Christ, all the things that Tom preached about last night are only possible because of what the Holy Spirit first did in Jesus' life, which is outrageous. How is Jesus conceived? By the power of the Holy Spirit. How does Jesus do his ministry? At his baptism, the Spirit descends and enables him to execute the plan that God has put into action. Living that perfect life, being perfectly obedient to all of God's commands, suffering the death that we deserve on the cross, dying. How was Jesus raised? By the power of the Holy Spirit. The incarnation is only possible by the Spirit. And we who are united to Christ's flesh are united because of the Spirit binding us to him. And so everything we've seen has been because of the Spirit. And what we're going to see today is that our union with Christ our inheritance, right, is conceived by the Spirit, and it's only made possible when we believe, when we hear, and then we're sealed and we're guaranteed. So that brings us to the first point, right? We're blessed because we heard and believed. You know, when you read Scripture, even hearing is a gift from God. Hearing is a gift from God. The Holy Spirit doesn't get involved in our lives once we've become a Christian, the Holy Spirit brings us every step of the way to the point of belief as well. And that begins with hearing the gospel, hearing the good news of Jesus. Look at verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. 
If you read the Old Testament, you see God constantly speaking to his people, sometimes directly, sometimes through an angel, sometimes through his prophets. And time and time again, the people hear but don't hear. And you see that front and center in Jesus' own ministry. Jesus' favorite way to teach his followers was through what? Stories, parables. Consider the story of the weeds and the, t- and, and the wheat, right? The, 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 so- the sower plants seeds in the field. And while he's sleeping, the enemy comes in and sows um, bad seed. And what happens, right? They both sprout up. The, the workers say, I thought you put good seed in. He said, I did. An enemy has done this. They ask whether they should tear it all up. And he says, no, wait until the harvest and my servants, my, the angels, will separate them. And, he's, and, they, and they, they listen. He goes on to teach several other things. And then several paragraphs later, the disciples go to him and they say, so uh, what did that uh, parable of the weeds mean? <laughs> they have no idea what they just heard. They heard it. They could repeat it, but they have no understanding. And what does Jesus do? He walks them through, right? The one who sowed the seed is, is God. And, and the good weed are the believers, and, and the weeds are the seeds of the enemy, right? And at the end of the day, when I return, right, I'm going to separate the wheat from the weeds. They need God to explain what they've heard. They can't do it in their own strength. The same goes um, for eyes. But before we go to that, you know, think about our own lives, right? We could relate to this idea of hearing but not hearing, right? I don't know about you, right, but we often hear but we're not listening, and so I think about our house, right, on the phone, we're watching a game, somebody's talking to you, you hear them, so much so they know you're not listening, like they see on your phone, they're like, what did I just say to you? And you go, blah, 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 and you rattle out word for word what they just said to you. And then you thank God that they don't ask you to explain it because you've heard it, but you have not processed it at any meaningful level, right? This is like a daily problem in our house, too. We often have things interfering with our hearing. For whatever reason, I've developed the awful habit of wanting to have deep conversations with Courtney while I'm washing the dishes in the kitchen. So she's in the living room, and I'm in the kitchen, and I'm talking to her loud. I can project my voice, but all she hears is what I'm saying and shh the whole time because of the the running water. Courtney is very soft-spoken. She'll start talking to me as she descends the stairs to the basement to do some laundry or go up to the bedroom, and I won't hear everything that she's saying. Now, we make a distinction, right, between hearing and listening, but the Bible doesn't. When it uses the words hear, when it uses hearing, it means all of the levels of hearing that we understand. Not only hearing and being able to repeat, but listening and understanding and comprehending. He who has ears, let him hear. And the same goes with seeing, right? People see the miracles of Jesus, and yet they don't know what they mean. They don't translate into belief. So much so, right, that when he resurrects, it says, when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. They saw him in the flesh, and yet they doubted what they saw. We need the Holy Spirit to give us spiritual eyes to see, to reveal the miracles. It's kind of like magic eyes. You guys remember these things? You buy a book with all these colors and random uh, designs, and if you pull the image away, all of a sudden you'd see something else. Now, you might not believe me, there's a shark in this picture, but you can't see it, right? Because you need the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you don't have spiritual eyes to see. Now, 
The analogy breaks down, though, for seeing and hearing when it comes to spiritual truths. Because you can clear your mind, you can get in a room, quiet alone, listen to a sermon, read scripture, and you will still not be able to hear it and see it unless the Holy Spirit does a work in your life. We're spiritually dead without the Holy Spirit. We're lost. The apologist and writer C.S. Lewis has this amazing thing. I don't know if it's in Mere Christianity or one of his other books, but he talks about when he would defend the faith and he would have a really good debate with somebody and even they would be convinced that what he had said was true. He would leave so weakened in his own faith because he felt like the truths that he was convinced of had been boiled down to arguments. And he said he never prayed harder for his own faith than after he had successfully defended it he would go home and pray for the spirit because he knew that it couldn't be, his faith could not be resting on mere assertions, mere historical arguments. It had to be a work of the spirit in his own life. Powerful stuff. So when we hear, we must rejoice because that is the work of the spirit. And if you have people in your life that still don't believe, this should give you patience because it's not up to how well you argue the truths of scripture it's up to the spirit to lead you to prayer now different but related is this next phrase and believed in him you heard and you believed the spirit also enables us to believe the gospel it enables belief and it's a certain type of belief because remember right it says you believe there is one god good even the demons believe that and they shudder that's what Jesus' brother writes to the early church. It's not just believing. It's a certain type of belief. It's believing and embracing for yourself, clinging to that truth so that it shapes who you are and what you do. I was thinking about this because we talk about this with confessions a lot. What is it? We use that word believe, right? And it made me think of one man. If you text one man after service say and ask if she believes in running, she will say, absolutely. Running is good for you. It's healthy. It's something worthwhile. It's worth your time. But she doesn't believe and embrace that for her own life. She hates running. She never wants to run. She tries it and she gives up on it. On the other hand, Rob believes the gospel of running. He would try to convince Tom and Paul and I to have our accountability meetings running laps at Mondog Park. He not only believes running is good, he's embraced it. It shapes what he does. So much so that I think that's why a woman feels the pressure to love running as much as he does. It's a certain type of belief, clinging to it. When we finally believe we're sinners, that's work that the Spirit has done in our hearts. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. That's the work of the Spirit that impacts what we believe about ourselves and what we believe about God. Do you believe that apart from God, you have no hope. Do you believe that Jesus loves you so much that he came down to save your life? You know, some of us have been going to church our entire lives, and we've heard the gospel over and over again, but we've never heard it. You know, I went to church every week of my life as a child. I went to a Jesuit high school. I served in leadership in college for InterVarsity. And it wasn't until I went to New York and was sitting in the pews at Redeemer that I actually heard the gospel for the first time. 
It's very sobering to think about. Which brings us to the second point. When you hear and when you believe, the Holy Spirit that brought you to hear and brought you to believe is given to you and is not taken away. Look at our text. We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. A seal. A seal refers to rings that kings would wear that would have their crest on it. And when they would send messages to other kingdoms, the seal would go on the letter, making it authentic. This is mine. I own this. This is from me. This is set apart. And that's what happens with the Holy Spirit. We're given this seal. We're set apart by God. We're marked as his own. And we can understand analogies as well that kind of convey this truth, right? When we get engaged, we give our partners, if you're a guy, a ring. And all of a sudden, there is a seal that you have, you have imparted to your partner. When they walk around, people know that they have been set apart, that they are different. And we experience new benefits, right? You've been dating somebody for a while. All of a sudden, people want to throw you parties. Let's have an engagement party, right? There's benefits. Your life has changed. You start to think about your future with that person in a way that's different. You start planning your wedding. You plan your honeymoon. How about cars, right? You lease or you buy a car. You put a down payment on it. And now you're driving that car around even though the lender owns it or the dealership owns it. You're experiencing the benefits of that car. Yet it's still not fully yours. That's what's going on here. You're different when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. My friend Jessica Hong, who many of you know, she was working at Redeemer for several years and then left, and now she's getting her MBA in Los Angeles. And what's amazing is she moved from being in a context where she's surrounded by believers, confessing sin, trying to communicate the gospel to one another and to non-believers and to people in the church, to now being in a program where she is the only Christian in her cohort. And she's been amazed at how set apart, how different she is from her peers. So they'll go out to the bar and they'll drink and they'll share stories about their sexual escapades, the people they like, the people they've slept with. And when she has nothing to contribute to the conversation, they press her and she doesn't have anything to share because she's a believer. And they're blown away that somebody in this day and age would have a different ethic around her body than they do. And you know what? Some people have actually pursued deeper conversations with her as a result. She's had the opportunity to speak to her cohort about her faith. People are intrigued that she belongs to someone else, that she's set apart. Another evidence of our ceiling is that we now battle sin. Behaviors we were content with or we were bothered by only to the degree that they affected our lives now cause us concern because they affect our relationship with God. The one who convicts us of that sin is the same one that we possess who's a guarantee that someday we're going to defeat that sin permanently. That's an amazing thing. The Spirit causes us to groan, to call out to God for deliverance from that. And that's evidence of the Spirit. Now, the seal, not only in our text, tells us that, it, it, it's, um, God, we're, that we're gods, that we belong to him, but it also says that it's a guarantee of our inheritance, right? It can't be taken away. The Holy Spirit unites us to Christ 
and we are united to him permanently. Now, in the opening hymn today, we sang, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And we understand that, right? Our hearts are prone to wander. But our guarantee is that we'll never wander away from the one we're united to. It's kind of like shopping at Target. Courtney will send me out on a mission. We need wipes. We need diapers. And because I'm hearing but not hearing, I don't write it down. I'm just going to go and get it. It's one or two things. But then I walk into Target, and I see that they have new toys. They have Predator toys that look so real. I could take cool photos of these Predator toys. Oh, my goodness, John Wick 3 came out, and it's, it's available on sale. And all of a sudden, I'm wandering around. Oh, there's that new board game. I come back. I got John Wick 3, but no diapers, <laughs> no wipes. I've wandered away from my goal. Crystal calls that being targeted. I was texting her in Sunday this weekend. She was like, did you get targeted? I was like, all the time I get targeted, but that's not why I'm texting you. So we forget why we went. We return with different stuff. Blessed is the day that we go to Target and we accomplish our goal, and that's all we do. But we don't. Not so with Christ. We can't not arrive at our goal. We remain united to him, guaranteed to share in his inheritance. Now, inheritance is a loaded word for us. We think our inheritance, we think money. We think possessions, things we hope to get, right? But we also think immediately of conflict, right? We think about relationships that have been destroyed by an inheritance. One child preferred over another. One possession given to this sibling and not the other. Why did you get this? Why did you get that? There's not enough. I have greater needs than this inheritance can give me. It could be lost. What if I'm cut out of the will? What if the inheritance is lost by a dip in the stock market? Lose it all. Two weeks ago in my intro, I talked about my friend Yuko and my dad and I going to the Yankee game. Yuko lived in New York. I met her at Redeemer. She's living in Japan now because her parents passed away. And she's in a brutal fight with her sister over her inheritance. And she would long to be in New York. She would give anything, and yet she's stuck in Japan possibly for years because of the way the legal system works there. You know, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett have been known to speak publicly about the fact that they're not going to give their kids the majority of their money when they die, partially for this reason, that the inheritance corrupts. It's not good. It messes things up. Let them find their own way like we did. Others of us think of our inheritance differently. We think, we think about that time where people say, oh, you have your dad's nose. You, know? you sound just like your mom when you talk like that. And we don't want that kind of inheritance. We don't want to hear that. Or we think about a sin that we struggle with, and we see that that promise in Scripture that sin tends to be generational is true. Because the things we've seen and the people we've spent our time with start to pop up in our own lives. And we don't want to inherit that. We want that out of our lives. For some of us, an inheritance is painful. We look around, we think, I don't have a partner. I'm not going to have kids. My parents are in debt. I'm going to inherit debt. I don't want to talk about inheritance. But the Holy Spirit, you have something greater. 
The inheritance that God gives you is permanent, and it's more than you need. It's all that we could ever want because we're united to Christ, and we possess all that he possesses. No big noses, right? No bad habits. We have Christ, his righteousness, his holiness, his perfection. It's all ours, and it's not going anywhere. And there's no shortage of what we get because we get God, the one who made and sustains all that we put our eyes upon. What's his is ours to inherit. Think about what Jesus says. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have not told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? God and Christ is preparing a place for you, for your unique needs. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That's your inheritance. Everything that you see, God has made. You inherit in Christ. No inheritance, no husband, no wife, no children. Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. You know what's even more amazing? God's prized possession, God's inheritance is us. If you read the NIV translation of this verse, it says, God's prized possession. We are his prized possession. And that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. I'm reading Kings right now. Solomon prays, we're your possession, your prized possession, when he dedicates the temple. It's amazing that God's love for us is so great that though we sinned, though we were separated from him, he sent his son to win back his prized possession, you and I. For the joy set before Christ, he endured the cross so that he could have us. I've got to end with a, a question that might be nagging and based all the things I'm talking about, being guaranteed, being new creations. My buddy and I, three guys, we meet for accountability. One of them has since left the faith. And one of the things he struggled with his whole time as a Christian was, why, if we have the Holy Spirit, do we not see it on display in the church? Why do we look the same? Drove him nuts. Why do I still feel the same? Why do I sin? Well, some of us have the Holy Spirit, but we're not growing. And this passage gives us the key to understanding that as well. The passage is bracketed by the word inheritance. And look at what it says. It says in the first verse I read today, in him we've obtained an inheritance. And you go to the end, the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it. Have we obtained it? Or are we waiting to acquire it? Is it ours or are we still waiting for it? Well, it's kind of like the example of the engagement. There are tangible benefits to being engaged, but it's not the same as being married. There are tangible benefits for leasing a car, but it's not the same as owning the car. We have been given the spirit and we have obtained unity with Christ and yet there's more to come. There's more down the line. We have the Holy Spirit. We're new creations, and yet we still battle sin. 
And, you know, King David is the ultimate example. If you look at the Old Testament, the first King Saul, when he's set apart by God, is anointed with the Holy Spirit. It says, when Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he burned with anger. And yet, after he sins, it says the Spirit departed from Saul. But not so with David. Look at what happens when David is anointed. Samuel takes the horn, anoints him, and in the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. No other king is described in that way. The spirit descends upon David from that day forward. And what does David do in the spirit? David lies. David covets. David commits adultery. David murders all in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't make us a superhero. We want to believe that it does. Anybody know what this is? The Mueller Belt exercise machine. Strap yourself on it, and now, now you're going to lose weight, right? We love that. There's like a new version of that now, right? You get this pad that vibrates your muscles, it electrocutes them. Yeah, I got abs now because I got plugged into a machine. We love this idea. We still, if they come up with some new version of this, we will want to buy it. We want that promise. Pop a pill, lose weight, shake our fat away. That's what we think the Holy Spirit does. He doesn't. He gives us the ability to do what we can't do on our own. So the reality is some of us have a seal. Some of us are guaranteed to inherit Christ and the kingdom in its fullest manifestation and yet right now we're on life support I don't know about you but there's these commercials that come on sometimes in the morning we're getting the kids ready and they're, they're public service announcements and they're disturbing you see people gasping for air smokers that have lost their tracheotomy and, and, and you don't want your children to see that but unfortunately, that describes some of us. We're on life support. We are alive in Christ, and yet we're gasping for air. Spiritually, we are bedridden until we die. We don't get up. We're not seeing the, the peaks of the mountains. We're not seeing God meet us in the valleys. We're getting by. So what must we do? The same things Pastor Tom and I often talk about that we just don't do. We need to be reading scripture. We need to hear God speak to us so that we know who he is and we see who we really are. You're saying scripture is boring? Pray that to God. Say, God, I find your word boring. I would rather read a book. I'd rather listen to a podcast. Make me see what I can't see. Pray that prayer. God can handle it. Believe me. You don't pray. You don't talk to God. You talk to your friends that don't even believe in God. You get advice from them. Talk to God. Pour out your soul. Pray. Pray with your brothers and sisters. Be in community, real community, where you let your, your deepest fears out, where you allow people to speak into your life. When you experience God in that context, you will, you will skyrocket with this promise that we're united to Christ and what that means for us. Now you won't want that stupid ring 
that your mom has that you hope you inherit. You want something far greater that you already have in Christ. The Holy Spirit brought Christ into the world. From the beginning, God and man get separated because of our sin. And in Jesus, in the Spirit, we are brought as close as we can to the source of all that is good, of all that joy, and it can't be taken away from us. Let us marvel at that amazing promise that is true. Let us live out of that joy of our inheritance that no one can take away.